0: Oh my God! You're like listening to Good World with Cameron Riley on the podcast network. Whatever.
1: We felt that uh, that more and more we were lo- we the people were losing control of our own culture, and that more and more advertising agencies and corporations, with, with their control of television and, and many other media, that they were more and more spoon feddy spoon feeding our culture to us from the the top down. Uh, and that we, the people, weren't creating our own cool anymore. We were feeding on some sort of a bogus cool that was coming to us from the top down. And, and we, wanted to, we, we decided that we're going to try to launch a, a cult-jamming movement which would uh, demolish consumer culture and, and on the ashes of consumer culture, we would build a new, a new authentic culture in which we, the people, are creating our own cool again.
0: Every now and again on this show, I have the opportunity to do an interview with somebody who's uh, an inspiration to me, somebody whose work I've admired for many years, who I've uh, read their work or or listened to it or uh, watched it, and it has acted as an inspiration for my work. In the past, it's been people we've had on the show like Noam Chomsky, like uh, Ray Kurzweil, uh, David Markham, uh, and you know even Leo Sayer, some of the musicians that we 've had on some of the artists today is another one of those people. This gentleman is an entrepreneur he 's an activist he 's the uh, original culture jammer he runs a magazine he 's written a couple of books that i 've read he Started something called Buy Nothing Day 20-odd years ago. And, you know, he's one of the media activists that has certainly inspired and enlightened my agenda over the last five years that I've been running TPN. So it was a real joy a couple of days ago to be able to uh, have a conversation with him about one of the recent legal victories that he's had after 20 years of uh, trying to push a case. And uh, just an absolute pleasure to get to talk to the man, and he is.
1: I'm Carl Lasson. I'm the editor of, of Adbusters Magazine, um, and um, this uh, Adbusters Media Foundation uh, started about twenty years ago, and it uh, it was born out of a, a very strange incident where where the, the forest industry here in the Pacific Northwest um, was airing a six million dollar campaign telling everybody that they're doing a wonderful job managing our forests and their slogan was Forest forever we have forest forever uh, and a few environmentalists and 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 filmmakers we we knew that this was a blatant lie we came up with our own 30 second tv spot and we tried to buy some airtime for that spot on the same stations uh, that were uh, selling millions of dollars worth of time to the forest industry and uh, lo and behold they refuse to sell us any airtime, uh, and this realization that there's really no democracy on the commercial airwaves. This is this is that uh, this is the incident that actually gave birth to to, to Headbusters Media Foundation and, and our magazine and our website and and all the Buy Nothing Day and other campaigns that we've met, that we've launched since.
0: And so let's talk about the the morality of the situation. These are aren't just. Uh, private media companies you're talking about this is like the state-owned media is that how the cbc works in canada
1: yes well the cbc is like the abc in australia it's uh, uh as far as i know it's, it's like it's, it's partly uh taxpayer paid but uh, but cbc also carries ads does, does the abc carry ads
0: no they still don't carry ads i know that you spent some time in australia you studied in adelaide i believe
1: that's right, yes. I actually, uh, um, from the age of seven to the age of uh, about 25, I lived in Adelaide. I went to Adelaide University and, and many of my relatives still live in Australia.
0: Oh, there you go. Uh, well, no, so the ABC still doesn't carry uh, commercial ads here in Australia. It's still fully taxpayer-funded.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, the situation, it doesn't really matter whether it's state-owned or not. The, the, the principle at stake here is that, uh, that those airwaves are public airwaves. They're owned by the, by, by the people. Uh, and we have a regulatory body in, in, uh, in Canada called the CRTC, and they lease out those airwaves uh, to the broadcasters mm-hmm. who are then supposed to sort of, of course, act in their own commercial interest, but there's also a public interest. Uh, and for the last uh, couple of generations, uh, those uh, broadcasters have been uh, censoring all dissenting messages. So when you try to, when when you know a, a, an automobile manufacturer, if they like BMW or, or Toyota or Ford, if they want to buy uh, 30 seconds of airtime and tell us how sexy their car is, then then they're absolutely welcome, and and they buy billions of dollars worth of time uh, uh, around the world to to tell us how great their cars are. But if Greenpeace or or Media Foundation, if we want to buy 30 seconds of airtime to point out that uh, that there's a connection between climate change and uh, and automobiles, then they won't sell us the airtime. So, so we have this kind of a, a, a crazy situation where the where we, the people, don't have access to our own public airwaves.
0: And and what's their justification when they deny you that airtime?
1: Well, you know. Um, when you phone them officially and ask them why they're not doing it and they have some various technical answers like like these ads don't quite uh, live up to to their standard of 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 what an ad should be and and, and that they have different kinds of regulations for advocacy ads versus uh, just straightforward product ads but when i talk to these uh, television executives uh, off the record, so to speak, you know, when I phone them up and start swearing at them and telling them what the hell they're doing, you know, <laughs> to our democracy, they, then then they tell me, listen, Mr. Larsen, they say, you know, do you really think we're so stupid that 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 we would uh, piss off some of our uh, million-dollar sponsors uh, by airing a few, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of your anti-ads? Uh, we remember very well what happened uh, a couple of generations ago, and when. when uh, uh, you know, when the, we, we had uh, lots of revenue from tobacco ads uh, and then suddenly a few brilliant anti-smoking ads zapped us off the TV airwaves and we've suffered ever since. And anyway, we're not going to let that happen again. So so when I talk to them off the record, then it's quite obvious what they're doing. They're basically uh, uh, basically uh, giving all the rights to the sponsors, to the corporations who want to buy airtime and, and, the, and citizens are, are cut out of the picture.
0: And you've been trying in, I know, in Canada and the United States to buy ads. I I think also in Australia, I remember a case a few years ago where um, I think Channel 9 ran some ads, but uh, 7 and 10 refused.
1: Yes, uh, this was quite a few years ago now. Uh, We've made various attempts all around the world, and then, you know, Australia, I forget whether it was Channel 7 or Channel 9, or anyway, a number of stations refused to sell us airtime Uh, This situation isn't uh, unique to Canada uh, or Australia. We've also tried to buy airtime on CBS and NBC and ABC and Fox and and MTV and and the Food Channel in the United States, and they have all refused to sell us a a single time slot. Uh, And we've also tried to buy airtime in the U.K. We were rejected there. We've tried to buy airtime in in Europe. So so what's really happening is that we have a a global uh, information system that is dominated by, by a few large media mega corporations uh, these uh, mega corporations control about half of all the news and entertainment flows around the planet and they just don't like dissenting messages popping up and and, and, uh, and, and destroying their their uh, uh, their profit margins <laughs>
0: But whenever I hear criticisms of places like Cuba coming out of the American media, I, I hear that uh, you know, and and uh, Venezuela more recently, I hear mm. that w- one of the great things about America is that they have a free media.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, that, that's uh, I think that uh, in places like uh, Zimbabwe or or, or, or China or, or or Cuba or many other places, there the censorship is blatant. You know, the state or some strong man in the state basically says, look don't do anything that I don't like and if you do then you're gonna suffer uh, and they basically give the people the information that they, that they want to give them whereas in in this uh, in this land of the you know of democracy and freedom in, in the United States and in Canada and to some degree in Australia as well I mean we basically have a much more sophisticated censorship system so uh, so for example I was born in Estonia many many years ago and and, and there in, in Estonia uh, for 50 years when we were controlled by the, by the Soviet Union, then we weren't allowed to speak back against the government. Well, in, in many of the democratic countries today, you're not allowed to speak back against a sponsor.
0: Right. But do, do you think that the Internet is changing the media landscape, sir? Do you think we the people now have an opportunity to create dissenting media?
1: Yes, of course that's happening. Uh, and uh, the, the Internet is a wonderful new development that... Uh, uh, that uh, is, is opening up uh, many new voices, and finally the, the voice of the people is, is, is starting to be heard. But, um, but you know that television is still, in, still I think, the, the number one social communications medium of our time. Uh, and the average person, certainly in North America, uh, still gets a huge percentage of their, of, of their um, information uh, from television. Uh, so I think it's very, very important uh, uh, to, you know, to fight for this right to, to have a, a free marketplace of ideas on the, on the television mindspace, uh, and, and also, you know, this gets to the to the very heart of what uh, our rights and our freedoms and what democracy is really all about. Uh, Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says that every human being on the planet has a has a right to seek information and to. And, and to receive information and to impart information, uh, and uh, if we cannot win the right to to, uh, to access to, to our own uh, public airwaves on television, then then I think down the road even the internet will be at uh, will be in peril because uh, this fight for a uh, for information rights uh, cuts right across television and the, in- and the internet and everything. So. So I, I, you know, many people tell me, well, you know, forget about TV. You know, we've got the internet now. Well, well, I say, hold on a second. You know, if we can't win, uh, you know, if after fifty years of television we can't have some informa- information rights on television, then what chance do we have of eventually having a free internet or a free cyberspace?
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. It's one of the concerns that I express on this show on a regular basis. Is that uh, we we need to understand that. Uh, I think it was Marshall McLuhan who said that World War Three would be a guerrilla information war, and mm. that uh, there are forces, very wealthy and powerful forces out there, that are determined to control the information that we get, whether it's on the internet or, you know, yes. the twentieth-century mediums. So let's let's talk Absolutely, about yeah. let's talk about this uh, recent uh, victory you had in the appeals courts. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yes, well, uh, you know, as I told you earlier, we we uh, we started uh, Adbusters about twenty years ago because we were un- unable to buy airtime. And over the last 20 years, we've launched various legal actions uh, to try to uh, open up those airwaves. Uh, and, uh, And for the last 20 years, we've always failed. We've had about half a dozen different attempts from different angles against different stations using different lawyers. Uh, and we have always been knocked back. The, the, the court has always told us that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, the television stations basically have the right to do as they please uh, and that we cannot force them to uh, to to, uh, to sell us airtime. Um, and yet, lo and behold, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the appeal court here in British Columbia, the B.C. Appeal Court of British Columbia, they finally gave us our first victory. Uh, and they basically said yes. Uh, we do have a point, uh, and, and that we should be able to go ahead now and and take the the the, the, the media corporations in Canada to court for uh, for uh, refusing to sell uh, airtime uh, to, to Canadian citizens. So so this is a this was a wonderful victory moment for us after twenty years of being knocked back.
0: After twenty years, you didn't give up hope.
1: Well, you know what I I, I because because this uh, you know this inability to buy airtime this lack of democracy on the airwaves th- this was what gave birth to our foundation so despite this this horrible uh, knockback that we've had and, and the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we've spent uh, um, you know on lawyers to to do this we weren't able to give up because because this particular case goes to the very heart of what our Adbusters media foundation is all about uh, and now in retrospect e- even though we were sometimes feeling uh, especially that last uh, knockback that we had about uh, in, in January of uh, of of, of, uh, uh, of 2009 when, when that happened then a lot of the people and a lot of my, my fellow culture jammers and, and, and media activists, they said, Kale, it's about time you gave this thing up. You know, you're just <laughs> pushing your – you're just pushing shit uphill, they told me. <laughs> and, uh, and and I must admit, uh, you know, trying to raise another 20000 to to launch another appeal, it, it felt like, uh, like I was really sort of, um, you know, going a little kooky in my head. <laughs> uh, and yet I'm glad we didn't give up because uh, – I think that the zeitgeist has changed, the mood has changed, and people realize now that, uh, that we are in a kind of a guerrilla information war about climate change and about uh, terrorism and about, uh, uh, about torture and about all the really big issues of our time. And unless we the people have a voice, then we're going to lose that meme war, we're going to lose this guerrilla information war, and, and the bad guys are going to control the, the, you know, the global system uh, you know, in the future.
0: So what do you think, uh, apart from this uh, general zeitgeist change, what changed this time? Was it a different uh, legal tactic, a different approach?
1: Well, I think there was a couple of factors. First of all, we, we, uh, we had a lot of bad luck with a bunch of lawyers who who were basically in it for the money and, and they fleeced us and, and, and didn't really have their heart in it. This current lawyer that we're using, Mark Underhill is his name, his heart is really in it. You know, he's, he, he he believes in, in, he understands what's at stake and, and he really believed in us and he was willing to to, to take us uh, through this thing for a uh, for a nominal cost of $20,000. Um, so that was the one really big factor. Uh, and when I listened to, to this lawyer of ours, you know, strut his stuff in court, then I could feel the conviction, you know, behind his words. He wasn't just pontificating or or going on some ego trip with some fancy words. Um, and secondly, I think it really is the zeitgeist. I think I think that uh, that 20 years ago when we launched this uh, this case, first of all, then it was a bit of a joke, and people didn't really care, and and then it somehow was some sort of a obscure issue in the in the backwaters. Uh, but now, I think. Uh, I think that the judge who, who finally ruled in our favor I think he he suddenly got it you know he suddenly understood what's really at stake here and, and he understood that under the Canadian charter you know a Canadian citizen should have the right to you know to walk into his or her local TV station and plunk some money on the table and and buy 30 seconds of airtime and unless we have that right then our democracy isn't really working
0: you know, I understand what you mean about the zeitgeist. I remember 10 or 15 years ago, if I started talking to somebody about Noam Chomsky, they looked at me like I'd uh, just come from the planet Mars. But <laughs> yeah. some, something's happened in the last decade. I don't know if it's a combination of Michael Moore's films or the, you know, the embedded journalism in the War on Terror, but people seem to be a lot more accepting today that the, uh, with the idea that mainstream media in the West is a uh, you know, corporate propaganda tool
1: yeah, I don't think it's really Michael Moore or even even Noam Chomsky. What I think it is is that uh, that we are living through a very, very dangerous moment in human history, you know for the first time, uh, we, we are, uh, you know, this, this human experiment of ours on planet Earth is, is suddenly being buffeted on, on the ecological side, on the psychological side, and of course on the political side. So ecologically we're suddenly facing catastrophic climate change and uh, which could tip out of balance uh, any time and, and really cause future generations some some, some some terrible grief. Uh, and then psychologically we're in this sort of a, um, uh, epidemic of mental ill health Depressions have been going up at, uh, at, at epidemic rates over the last couple of generations. So we're psychologically in trouble. And of course, politically, we're caught in this so-called never-ending war on terror uh, that is really, if you really look deep down about what's causing this this war on terror, then it really boils down to this huge gulf between the rich and the poor people of the world. So ecologically, psychologically, and politically, we are in trouble. And I think people... Sense that, and when 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 people sense that that we are in trouble, then all of a sudden issues like access to the airwaves suddenly start to mean a hell of a lot.
0: Yeah, it's a terrific perspective. Let's well, now that we've got your attention. Um, let's let's talk about culture jamming. For people who don't know what a culture jammer is, can you sum it up for us?
1: Yes. Again, back uh, about twenty years ago, when we, when we first started this this uh, this adbusters, then then and we were a, a bunch of, uh, of filmmakers and, and environmentalists and and, and and disillusioned feminists and, 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 and lefties on, and and we we were kind of we felt that all these old uh, movements, uh, including feminism and, 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 and environmentalism and, and, and even the whole leftist political agenda, that this is somehow peaked now and it was getting really boring and, 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 and that there was no worthwhile fights really to, to have on those fronts anymore. And we felt that the new front uh, would have something to do with culture. We felt that uh, that more and more we were, lo- we the people were losing control of our own culture. And that more and more advertising agencies and corporations with with their control of television and and, and many other media, that they were more and more spoon spoon feeding our culture to us from the, the top down. Uh, and that we, the people, weren't creating our own cool anymore. We were feeding on some sort of a bogus cool that was coming to us from the top down. And, and we, wanted to, we, we decided that we're going to try to launch a, a cult-jamming movement, which would uh, demolish consumer culture. And, and on the ashes of consumer culture, we would build a new, a new authentic culture in which we, the people, are creating our own cool again.
0: What's your motivation, sir, to get up and do this every day? What what drives Carla Larsen forwards on a daily basis?
1: <laughs> well, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I don't really know that. I I, uh, I think I told you earlier that I was born in Estonia and, and in, in my country for 50 years, the the Soviet uh, Russia was, was controlling us and, and, and giving us the curriculum in our schools and, and telling us lies about our own history and... and, and uh, uh, and if you didn't uh, like what they were doing, then they would put you in a mental asylum and and make you suffer for 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 speaking back against them. So in a way, I was born in a in a country that uh, that suffered mightily because of a uh, uh, lack of uh, freedom. Um, and uh, and then after that, uh, I, I was also politicized quite heavily during the Vietnam War. Uh, when, when, I for, at the beginning of the war, I, I was sort of a believer, but then bit by bit, as I got educated about what was really going on there, I realized that there was a, a terrible uh, injustice being done there, and that uh, American foreign policy wasn't what I thought it was. Uh, and then I also spent uh, about uh, six, seven years of my life uh, traveling around the world, mostly in the the poor countries of the world, and I, and, and I, and I, and I found out what it means to be poor, what it means to be one of the five billion people who are uh, living in, in a developing country or who are living in one of the, 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 the slums of the world. You know, I, I know what it feels like to be one of the one billion people on the planet who live in a slum. Uh, so all these things have, have made me angry, they've, they've, they've made me angry to the point where when I feel some injustice going on, then, then I feel like I want to fight back. <laughs>
0: It I brings to mind a, a Che Guevara quote, something about if you, if you tremble at every injustice done to people around the world than you are my brother. It's, it's, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's not very cool to be angry about social injustice though, or do you think it is getting cooler to get angry about those things again?
1: Well, I think that we, the the people who live in the rich one, uh, uh, you know, the rich countries of the world, you know, the the one billion rich people of the world, I think we've had it good for a long, long time. Uh, you know, we've grown fat and opulent, and, and 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 we we own our houses and we 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 have a couple of cars in our garages and. And, and we buy all the food uh, we want from these uh, wonderful supermarkets that we have. So I think to some degree, we the rich one billion have become sort of decadent and spoiled and and, uh, and when you're decadent, fat and spoiled, then it's very hard to to, to really get angry about anything. Um, but I think that um, that now with this recession that we're in and this realization that the global economic system was a, a, a sham and, and, and that there's going to be a price to be paid for that, and now that we find that uh, some of the, the the places like Brazil and India and China, that they suddenly, they've got a sort of nice, authentic, powerful, new, third world kind of cool that's bubbling up there that I really like. And, and I think that, yeah, I think that in the next, uh, and of course, because of climate change and, and the war on terror and all these other things I talked about earlier, I, I think that we are living at a time when, when many young people will grow up angry again, just like, like I did in the shadow of the Second World War.
0: Do you think that the global financial crisis is providing new opportunities for culture jammers?
1: Yes, it has opened up uh, the the terrain again. During this bubble that we were living in for the last uh, 20 years. You know, whenever you wanted to talk about ecological economics or a paradigm shift from neoclassical to ecological economics, or, or, or whenever you wanted to talk back against a, a marketplace where the, the the price of the products doesn't tell the ecological truth, or whenever you criticised the the. The, the global system, the, the new liberal, uh, well, the Washington consensus, I guess, is what they called it. Uh, then people would sort of just, you know, turn away their heads and say, "Oh yeah, I hear those, those angry lefties." There they go again, you know, with the old lefty line. And it was very, very hard to to have any traction uh, on on those issues like like Tobin taxes and 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 true cost marketplaces and 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 so on. Whereas now, I think. Uh, now that the uh, the old uh, washington consensus has been blown apart now all of a sudden it's all open again and i think the the discussion is open and it's time now to to pull off that paradigm shift uh, and and tell those neoclassical eco- economists in our universities to go to hell and, and 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 take that paradigm with them and i think it's t- and, and i think there's a real opportunity now to to pull off uh, some of those uh, large mind shifts that uh, uh, you know, that uh, a lot of people have been talking about for, for many, many years, but haven't really got anywhere. I think now we can get somewhere.
0: The governments of the West, though, are uh, not going to be happy with the concept of buy nothing, They, in In this country, our current prime minister just released a stimulus package and is begging people to go out there and spend money. How powerful is uh, the buy nothing campaign going to be in uh, uh, this kind of economic climate?
1: Uh, by Nothing Day. Again, when we launched it back in 1993, uh, this was a good uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, then, uh, then by Nothing Day really was a bit of a, well, not a bit of a joke. It was a huge joke when people first heard those three words, buy Nothing Day. They just burst out laughing. Um, whereas now, I notice that there's all kinds of voluntary simplicity movements, and and, and people are 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 cutting back, uh, you know, because they want to reduce their carbon footprints. Uh, and uh, I, I feel that. That this uh, this little catalytic thing we did uh, a long time ago with Buy Nothing Day, I, I think that it's really, really sort of Im- embedded itself now into our culture, and it's becoming quite a-, a powerful force to be reckoned with. So I'm not quite sure how well Buy Nothing Day will go uh, this year. We're going to, of course, give it a- another big crack this November, but uh, but I believe that uh, to-, to a large degree our-, our work, you know, these, you know, launching this. This, uh, this campaign and, and getting millions of people over the last 15, 20 years to think about, uh, you know, how much is enough? You know, how big a footprint do you want to have before you want to call it quits? I think that this meme, this, this idea has now embedded itself into our culture and, and it's, I, I honestly believe it's going to be kind of unstoppable and over the next uh, 10, 20, 30 years, we're all going to be uh, living in a, in, in, a, in a much more frugal kind of a culture.
0: I really admire your uh, long-term vision so you, you know on these 20 30 year campaigns to change the way that people think I think that's uh, that, that those kinds of long-term visions are something that we should all get back to unfortunately the online um, culture that that I live in is more about how do you raise a billion dollars and sell your business to Google next week yeah. too often yeah know?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I, again, on that, uh, on the internet side of things, you know, I, I love the internet. For example, Buy Nothing Day would never have become the global campaign that it has become if we went, didn't launch it in the, in the late 1990s on the internet and and have uh, you know suddenly uh, three or four cities in Australia and a whole bunch of uh, all kinds of other people in other parts of the world spontaneously la- launch their own Buy Nothing Day campaign. So I, I know the power of that the internet has. But you know the the internet is uh, is also got a dark side uh, and and uh, and now I think uh, over the next while there's going to be a uh, I, I think that dark side is going to uh, uh, you know this this is very op this is very uh, very positive bubble that that uh, that we've been in for a long time it is suddenly going to be uh, have a counter force and we're going to be looking at uh, at what happens to our brains if, if we're uh, totally wired. And in fact, that right at the moment, next week, next Monday, is, is the beginning of, of, a, of, a, of a campaign called
0: Digital Detox Week. <laughs> Very good. Explain that to us.
1: Well you know this again uh, about uh, 15 years ago we we had a campaign uh, back in the old days before the internet uh, it was even there uh, it was called TV turn off week uh, and then uh, and then about uh, four or five years ago uh, TV turn off week, week morphed into a digital detox week and, and now digital detox week is a you know we're challenging people to basically uh, unplug everything their TV their iphones their their, their internet uh, their 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 games, just basically go completely uh, digital uh, free for for, uh, for one week and, and to get a little bit of magic back into their lives
0: well you know one of the very important concepts I learned when I read your book uh, Culture Jam uh, several years ago was this idea of the jolt. And you know, I, I see that happen uh, in things like Xbox and in things like the internet. I, I recently did a Twitter uh, Twitter free week because I felt like I was getting too addicted to the jolt of Twitter every uh, thirty seconds. Why don't you um, explain to people what the jolt is? Well, the, the jolt
1: is is uh, a hit on your neurons. It's a uh, it, it's it's something that it, it's a, either a loud noise or it's a, a very aggressive uh, TV ad or it's some sort of a bubble that pops up on the on your TV screen. Uh, it's a, perhaps an erotic tintillation or some violent piece of violence that suddenly shocks you and, and captures your attention. It is it is something that uh, that suddenly gets the gets the the juices flowing in your brain and 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 in your body gets the adrenaline also flowing and if uh, if you live in a world where you're constantly being jolted you're constantly having your neurons in your brain shocked uh, then after a while it has a kind of a deadening effect where 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 you know you can suddenly see some incredibly poignant uh, moment uh or, or live through some you know you can you know you suddenly become the sort of person who uh, you know who suddenly feels totally unemotional in your father's own funeral uh whereas you suddenly start to cry because of some tv show that you're watching and, and all of a sudden the, your brain starts acting in in strange ways and, and there's a certain emotional deadness that that can can form so so jolts uh, and I think the sort of experiences that we have when we're in front of our our, our electronic screens of various kinds, I, I think it, it there's a, the research isn't in yet, but there is a possibility that uh, that that is uh, changing our brains uh, and turning us into uh, human beings that don't have the sort of emotional uh, resonance and, and the sort of empathy that uh, that earlier generations before us had.
0: You know, I've got a couple of young boys, and I can see the chemical high, the adrenaline high that they get on if they play Xbox for, you know, an hour or so. They start to get hopped up, and then you can watch them running around and feeling aggressive for the next hour.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, do you think there's, there seems to be a growing consensus out there that the different forms of media that we engage in are, or possibly might be, one of the, the causes of the amount of depression or anxiety, or bipolar disorder, mental disorders that people uh, seem to be suffering on an increasing basis in modern society. Do you, do you suspect there's a link between the two?
1: Yes, I suspect that there is. I mean, I think that uh, it's, uh, there are many studies that have shown now that we are in an epidemic of, of of mood disorders and anxiety attacks and depressions. And uh, the World Health Organization uh, has warned us that uh, if current trends continue, then then mental disease will be bigger than heart disease uh, in another 10 or 15 years. Uh, And we also know that the rates of depression have gone up uh, 300% over the last two generations. And uh, nobody quite knows exactly why this is happening. There's a lot of research going on, but nobody quite knows why. Uh, but uh, many researchers believe that there's, it's got multiple causes, that, that uh, part of the reason is just the stresses of modern living and, 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 uh, and, and hard economic times and, and just, just, uh, you know, normal, just normal modern life, which has become much more stressful over the, the last few generations. And, and, and some people believe it's some sort of a chemical maybe in your food or maybe it's a, a chemical in the air or, or some sort of a... Um, some sort of a poisoning effect in our brain that we haven 't quite uh, figured out what it is yet, but there are also the researchers who believe that uh, this jolting effect that we just talked about that that uh, that this is one of the, the the multiple factors that is causing this epidemic of of mental illness and and I firmly from my own experience uh, the people I know and in my own life I, I can Almost feel it happening to me sometimes when I'm, uh, you know, sitting in front of the TV, or or, or if I spend too many hours one morning and in in front of my my computer, I, I can almost feel the uh, sort of a, a dead a deadness uh, creeping over me, and uh, and uh, so I I believe there's a definitely a link in, in my in my mind there is a a link that we haven't scientifically proved yet uh, between. Uh, uh, media, mass media, and especially the sort of uh, uh, very fast, jolting mass media that uh, that we have, and and our own uh, mental well-being. So, and and once, and once this link has been proved, once some some real res- research has come out and and proved that there is such a link, then that will, I think, change everything. It will, you know, like 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, we we launched the. Uh, um, you know, environmental movement because we realized that there were uh, there were these pollutants that were uh, giving us cancer and 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 making us sick in various ways. And once we discover that uh, that there's also mental pollution happening, which can also uh, give us, uh, uh, you know, make us mentally sick, then, then I think we'll, this will be the beginning of a kind of a mental environmental movement that will change the way we relate to the media. It will change the way we think about uh, television and about the Internet and about uh, everything. So, so I, I'm hoping that this research will come through soon, and that we will be able to launch this other side of the coin to the environmental movement, this this uh, mental environmental movement.
0: Mental environmental movement. I love that, sir. That's a terrific term. Uh, so um, do you have any final message to the listeners out there? If you could urge them to do uh, one thing today, what would it be?
1: Um, I would just... To ask them to go for a nice long walk and and uh, think about things. And then if they can find a little bit of outrage in their guts to, to start acting on it.
0: Well, Carla Larson, uh, sir, you've, you've been an inspiration with your work over the last 20 years. To many of us uh, out there, I know um, your, your name comes up on a regular basis in conversations that I have with... Uh, online activists who are trying to reprogram the media. You've certainly been an inspiration to all of us with your work. Thank you again, sir, and congratulations on the result. I hope it goes well at the BC Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, well, I'm delighted to be able to talk to, to, to people in Australia. I have uh, the fondest memories of my 15 years living there.
0: Do you get down here often?
1: Uh, I used to, but then after my mother died, then, then I, I sort of stopped coming. And, but uh, I, I used to visit at least two or three times a year for, for many, many years.
0: Well, I get to Seattle from time to time, so um, next time I come, home, I might come up to Vancouver and we can chat again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Come and see me.
0: Thank you so much, sir. Uh, and again, thank you for you know, taking the call on a Sunday. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Okay, then. Adios for now. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to uh, learn more about Carla's thoughts and work, Get a copy of Adbusters magazine. You'll probably find it in your local newsagents. Go to their website, adbusters.org. I also highly recommend getting a copy of Colors two books, Culture Jam and Design Anarchy. I picked them both up in a little bookstore in San Francisco quite a few years ago, and I've read them both several times. They're just tremendous, tremendous books. Very, very inspiring As you can tell from the interview, Mr. Larson is uh, very passionate, very articulate, got a great sense of humor, very knowledgeable, and has been fighting the media activism battle for several decades. I'd also like to remind you of the TPN 500, if you haven't uh, signed up for that. Basic goal there is to get uh, 500 subscribers out of the hundreds of thousands of you that I know are listening We can get 500 people to uh, sign up to donate the cost of a cup of coffee a week to the TPN 500 fund. It's about $20 a month and that'll create enough revenue streams to basically keep TPN going for the rest of the year. It's going to be in this uh, global financial crisis. It's going to be tough for independent media companies that... Uh, previously relied on advertising to survive. And, you know, I've never been comfortable relying on advertising or corporate dollars anyway. And, you know, talking to people like Carla just reinforces that fact. You know, we need to have an independent revenue stream that enables us to keep doing the work that we do. And, uh, you know, I think if you guys are willing to fork over the cost of a cup of coffee once a week for the hours and hours and hours of content that you have available to you on TPN that uh, that would be a good thing that would make us financially independent and would assure our future so the url for that tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com you'll see links there to the tpn 500 i'll put it in the show notes for this as well as links to Adbusters and to carla's books where you can buy them also want to recommend that you get a copy of peter elliard's book designing 2050 if you haven't yet Go to designing2050.com. You can find it in your bookstores uh, in Australia. If you're outside of Australia, go to designing2050.com. You can order it online. You can get it either as an e-book, a PDF, or a print copy. Uh, This is, of course, the first book published by TPN's uh, printing arm, TPN Text. I'm very, very proud of it. Peter is is an amazing man and an amazing intellect, truly one of Australia's great thinkers. And this is a book about how we design... Uh, the society that we want to live in uh, over the next four or five decades. Uh, absolutely required reading for anyone who listens to this show, Designing 2050, Pathways to Sustainable Prosperity on Spaceship Earth. Okay, that's me for today. Thank you again, folks, for tuning in, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon.